0: Board-certified internist, founder of DrBerryPierre.com, as well as the CEO of Pierre Medical Consulting, helping you empower yourself for better health. With the number one podcast of patient advocacy, affirmation, and education, this week we bring you a special guest, Dr. Theodore Niami, who is a board-certified plastic surgeon from Harvard Medical School, who also completed a research fellowship also at Harvard Medical School, And I want to take a time out to shout out a loyal listener and really just a friend uh, for myself as well as friend of the show, of course, uh, Jamar, who really put me in touch uh, with Dr. Niami and said that this is a person I needed to get on the podcast. And when I tell you, Dr. Niami did not disappoint. Um, It's such an amazing conversation on perseverance, having the audacity to succeed and not set any boundaries on the limits of success. Again, we're going to have an amazing conversation like always. Subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a five-star review. And tell one friend, tell five friends, tell ten friends about this week's episode. I got a treat for you guys. Again, you know I love I, I love hyping my guests. Right, That's one thing I love to do. And more importantly, first of all, I want to give a shout-out to a good friend of mine, Jamar, who, who hit me up on Instagram. And he said, Doc, like, I, I got this guy. Like, I, I need you to get him on your podcast, right? Because I want, I want other people to kind of know his story. Uh, one, because he he looks like he's like us, right? He's black, right? So he's, he he looks like us, right? And like, just seeing him and just kind of seeing what you're doing, like, gives me such inspiration. And I need other people to see that as well, too. So he didn't have to tell me anything else. Like, I put him quick follow dm and then like the the rest is history uh and first of all thank you for uh joining uh the medicine mondays and lunch and learn uh podcast and uh, thank you really for blessing us for like an amazing story like that
1: we're going to get into uh throughout the day i appreciate it now this is this is an honor to do and you know to me the fun part about this is it paints legacy right you know you travel along a journey And unless you have a record of what happened, your kids and the generation that may follow has no way to look back and say, wow, so that's how the story unfolded. So uh, thanks for the opportunity, not only to share this with your audience, but, you know, also just to kind of recast the story. So someday my kids can listen to this and figure out how it all unfolded.
0: I love it. So uh, before, because a lot of people, you know, especially especially when we get on the podcast, I'm going to do your bio, but I know you're going to skip it. like who 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 are you, right? And why am I, right? Why am I, and why is my partner Jamar so enamored uh, uh, with your story, right? And then I, I what I want to say is we're definitely going to get into like almost two parts, right? Uh, we're going to talk about like you know one how would you get over here to this country, right? Like what was that story like? And then more importantly, what people really want to get into, right? Like what is life as a doctor, right? What is what is your doctor life looking like? Because I think it's interesting enough. You are the first plastic surgeon here on the Learn to Learn with Dr. Barry, and we've had uh, who by the time by the time years come out, probably oh, we definitely had over 200 episodes, and you are definitely the first plastic surgeon. So, um, so like I said, just I mean, a lot of excitement to go around. So, um, you know, so who, who are you like? Let's let's give a quick little bio just so we can kind of you know get the ball Perfect. rolling here.
1: Perfect. So, uh, Dr. Theodore Naomi, I'm a board certified. Harvard trained plastic surgeon. Uh, More than that, you know, I am a husband, I'm a father, I'm an entrepreneur, uh, I'm a mentor. And, you know, I just love just diving in 100 percent into everything that I'm doing. Uh, so I'm really excited to be the first plastic surgeon. This is always a hot topic, you know, when it comes to plastic surgery. I go to parties and, you know, as much as my wife will tell me not to bring it up, as soon as the word gets out, there's a plastic surgeon. I got people getting free advice. And does this really happen? So you know, I'm excited. I've been, I've had the opportunity to be part of some really amazing things, gotten a chance to travel the world, doing plastic surgery, and it's really shaped my perspective. So that's a little bit about who I am.
0: I love it. So let's, let's talk about, let's talk about your journey before we, before we get to med school, right? I want to kind of talk about what was that life like? Because especially when I talk to a lot of my clinicians, I always ask, what is their, what is their pre-doctor journey? And then, obviously, more importantly, what's their doctor, current doctor journey look
1: like? So what's the pre-doctor oh. journey for you? Well, let me let me start the story at the beginning. So I have a unique background. Some people think they came up in the struggle. I actually grew up in a small old town in West Africa, like no running water, no paved roads. When I was growing up, you know, if I would stayed there, you know, the best opportunities for me may have been to become a blacksmith or a mason or worst case scenario, be one of those people at the airport selling water. Um, and my life was transformed, you know, my brother and I, uh, were raised by my grandmother until I was about eight years old. My parents, when I was about eight months left to come to the United States in search of a better opportunity for us. And they chose to leave us behind until they could set things up. Little did they know it was going to take eight years, um, before we actually got a chance to join them, which is interesting, right? You know, like the first yeah. time I met my, my mom that I, in my memory that I remember, I was eight. So, you know, you're about seven or eight and somebody's like, oh, this is your mother and this is your father. And I remember when we first came and he still asked for permission to go to the fridge because, you know, it's like somebody you've never grew up with. Um, and so that was interesting. So we came originally from Ghana, West Africa and I'll never forget the day we left, um, went to Amsterdam and then landed uh, at LaGuardia Airport where my parents picked us up and took us to, you know, our one bedroom apartment in the South Bronx. And at that point, you know, they had, my sister had just been born. So there were three of them and then we came. So there were five of us now in a one bedroom apartment uh, in the South Bronx. And, you know, talk about perspective, right? You know, one bedroom apartment in the South Bronx, you know, sleeping on the floor. Most people have been like, man, that's a struggle for us. I mean, we had carpet for the first time. I mean, we have running water, you know, I mean, just anybody that goes to the sink and turns on the tap and warm water comes out and you just take that for granted. That's not common in a lot of places throughout the world. So growing up with that sort of background, I've always been grateful and appreciative of everything. You know, sometimes once you've seen the full spectrum, you look at things that people take for granted and realize it's truly a blessing. You know, I I, I love
0: that. I love that you said that just just being able to you know turn on that faucet and water come out right yeah. being and, and you know especially you know I'm, I'm born in this country uh but my parents are from haiti so um, mm-hmm. you know they, they oh, tell stories, stories but yeah. i i don't know of the stories i i yeah. don't like i just yeah. i just hear from it so being uh, like this just hearing your words and i could hear you say like wow like i was like well we're, we're we done made it we, we're here no,
1: seriously yeah
0: Sorry to break your concentration. I know you were probably knee deep into today's episode, but do not forget, check out our Lunch and Learn community store, shop.drberrypierre.com. Remember to use the code EMPOWER10 and make sure you are leaving us a five-star review, especially on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Thank you. Now back to your regularly scheduled podcast.
1: I mean, it was interesting. I remember the most annoying thing is, you know, we slept on the floor because it was one bedroom and it wasn't enough rooms. And we were sitting there like, wow, this is carpet. Look how soft it feels. I mean, just that perspective, you know. And the only thing that's annoying is, you know, Friday or Saturday morning, if uh, guests were coming, we have to get up and fold little blankets and, you know, kind of intru- interrupt your sleep. Uh, but I'm just, I'm grateful for those opportunities. Um, and just even the path of getting here. Um, so when we were, just a back, background, when we were in Ghana. My brother and I were the worst students that that entire town had ever seen. I mean, we were, you know, I, I'm sitting here, you know, Harvard degrees behind me. We were the worst students that town i ever seen. In fact, my brother was so bad that the school left him back three separate times. First time, parents wow. sent over a nice little bribe. The school took the bribe and they let him go ahead. The second time, the school wouldn't take the bribe. So now he was just one grade ahead of me. The third time, they would take the bribe. And then we were in the same exact grade. And out of about 30 kids, they would line us up. And as long as I was, like, just one position ahead of him, even though we were both in the back of the line, that's all it took. That's all I needed, you know. So we were, you know, grossly underperforming. And a lot of that had to do with our perspective, right? Even though we were in that town, we were one of the few kids with real toothbrushes. We had real uniforms. We had shoes because we knew our parents were in the U.S. Ah, okay. So... In that town, we had an, a more, more wealth and more affluence than the other kids. And thus, we performed far less. They, we weren't hungry at all. We just, you yeah, know.
0: I'm gonna say, that, 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 that the, the drive you know, to do there. well in school just wasn't there. Because, okay.
1: Woo, hit, the, hit, hit, day, hit. the day we got here, my dad changed all of that. Right? He changed all of that. <laughs> What I mean, he,
0: was it was uh, it a what is it was it just a a, a a conversation that he had to have with you guys and say like hey like uh, or is it more of action like
1: <laughs> now you know how like you have pivotal moments in your life where you look back and you're like man this is the moment where you know the things changed he first he sat us down and he said okay you guys are here now you guys are my sons i want one lawyer one doctor choose okay my brother is older. That. so that. yeah, Yeah. And so he got to choose first. So he chose medicine. Then I chose law. The next thing he said was, okay, this is a list of eight Ivy League schools. Okay. You guys, go ahead and choose the ones you want. And I look at him and I was like, which one's the best? And he said, Harvard. And I was like, okay, that's where I'm going to go. Then I made the mistake of asking, so what happens if this all doesn't work out? Didn't hesitate. Mm-hmm. He looked at me and said, simple. We'll deport you guys send you back and we'll bring some of your cousins who are serious about their academics. And at that point he had to say nothing else. Right. Cause you get that warm water. I mean, that fresh, you get that carpet and you're like, mm-hmm. nah. wasn't, wasn't going back. Wasn't going back. And that but, really, set what, what I love
0: about that mm-hmm. is that, you know, someone who's watching this or hearing this may think that what your dad was doing was far fetched. But if you don't, if you don't know an alternative, mm-hmm. that is the option. That's the option it. is Ivy league. Cause there isn't an alternative. What do you, what do you mean? Yeah. Like, no, I'm going over here. So, as, yeah. and that's a, and, and I will definitely get into that. Cause I think that's such a, that's a, a mindset shift that you guys, like you probably even didn't even realize you were having, but like, that is such a serious mindset shift to say, like, oh, yeah. this is what is going down. And I I don't care about what obstacles i may have to, to get there but like i already know that these are my only options i do i, I love you dad for that
1: oh man you 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 hit the nail on the head right you know it's all about how you set the standard for yourself and in life the biggest challenge and the biggest issue is that not that we we set standards that are too high it's that we set standards that are too low when we reach them mm. and then we pat on our pat ourselves on the back for reaching these standards because they were safe you know i'm a firm believer that you should be failing consistently you should be failing forward, right? Because if you're not failing, that means the bar that you're setting is too low. So the day we came, I mean, my dad didn't even know we couldn't read or write. Didn't We were the bottom of the barrel kids in this town. And when we got here, he had the audacity to set that bar and say, this is where it is, right? And there's no choice but to get to this level, you know? And by doing that, it just changes the whole dynamic, right? I meet a lot of people who are aspiring, you know, they want good things, but at the end of the day, when you look at what it takes to get there, most of them just don't have the heart for that. You know, is that saying if, you know, you want to, everybody wants to be a wolf until it comes time to do the things that wolves do. And that mentality is what it takes, but unless somebody has set the bar right at a level that you understand that even if you fail, you're still far better off most people just kind of underperform, So I'm grateful for that moment. And literally that day we got here, it was like literally one of the first things he said to us within the first two, three hours, we got in the door. I mean, there's a picture of me and my brother standing um, with the, you know, I love New York Statue of Liberty sign posing in our suits, the only things we had with oh, us. Really like that. And that's the day it all changed for us. So, yeah.
0: That's you know, like I, said, I I I definitely love that because, and, and you, I think you said the, the 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 best word, right? He had the audacity, right, to know that this is your level. Like he had mm-hmm. that audacity, and you weren't clouded by any preconceived notions that that wasn't it. right? Yeah. you were just like, oh, okay, all right, was, okay. yeah, like doctor lawyer, okay, I'll do okay. Yeah. And I gotta ask, like, how how'd you pivot? Um, and then he was like, all right, which schools? And then these are like, so I, I mean, everything is just like 100 percent, because I think what happens, especially in I know you do um, a lot of mentor work. When when I talk to a lot of my mentees, a lot of my work is just kind of break down the preconceived notions that they've had, you know, by the time they got to me, like they can't yeah. do this, the MCAT's can't do- too hard, this, do this, yeah. this, I got to yeah. like. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Yeah.
1: That, yeah. Don't yeah. Listen to
0: that. Like, you have to break that down so they can kind of see, like, okay, wow, this is yeah. kind of possible. Like, oh, okay. All right. Yeah. If, you're, if you're saying this. So I, I love that your dad had an audacity, like, right from the beginning. And, like, hey,
1: y'all. Like, it is, is it. what it is. Yeah. It and is it, I mean, is. I completely agree with you. You know, when I mentor students, you're breaking down preconceived notions about what they think they can and think they can't. They don't understand that whether you think you can or you think you can't is irrelevant what mm. is more relevant is what is the pathway how much work is necessary to put in to get to this angle right don't waste time questioning whether you can or you cannot you should need to ask yourself what is the model for success if i want to achieve this grade get to this school what do i need to do don't waste time on whether you can or you cannot spend that time putting in the work and that's the key you know and i think in a lot of our communities what we don't have is a good model Right. Or we think we understand what hard work looks like until you talk to somebody who, you know, I mean, people would consider some of the things that I did to get to med school extreme. But I tell you, when I look at the the metrics, there was no question that these things were going to happen because I put in the necessary amount of work and then some, you know
0: so how how did we make that pivot? because again, you, in your story, you said, like I, I you know he chose first, he chose medicine for British chose medicine first, so I just to do law. Uh, was there something that steered you uh, away from law or more steered you towards uh, coming on coming on on our side?
1: So you know to that, to that question, there's always the interview answer and there's the real answer, right? And, you know the interview answer is 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 just plain and boring. I'll give you the real answer is. You know, when my brother and I were coming to this country, I told you he had been left back several time. So he was in the same grade I was in. And then we get here and all of a sudden, because he's older, they decide to skip him one grade. And I'm sitting there like, whoa, time out, guys. You got the wrong one. I was the guy right. who was ahead of the I, I should have
0: been, been in that spot. What y'all doing? Yeah.
1: You know, but just because of his age. So that sparked, you know, a little bit of competition between us. Right. And I love that because it pushed us all the way through med school. Right. My brother was about 12 years old and he read uh, Gifted Hands by Ben Carson. At that point, he decided he was going to be a brain surgeon. Yep. The moment he decided he was going to be a brain surgeon, I decided I was going to be whatever surgeon was better than a brain surgeon. Right. And, you know, (laughs) so on and so forth. Like me, my brother, you know, through like fourth and fifth grade, he would get a math book and I would finish mine and pick up his book. Right. Because I want to show him like by the time I get to your level next year. I'm going to be well ahead of everything that you're doing. Mm. And so we always push each other. You know, whenever my brother and I have competed, we've never worried about anybody else because the the level of intensity uh, has been such that, you know, most other people are just irrelevant in that setting. So, for example, you know, college, you know, he went to Binghamton University, uh, upstate New York, came home with a 3.7 GPA. So the very next year I went to Cornell And I refused to come home with less than a 3.7 GPA. Like there was not a single thing that was going to have me come home and not have achieved a score that was higher than his. Right. And so I had a 3.9 my first semester at Cornell. Then the next semester, he had a 4.0. So then I had a 4.0. And it just went back and forth, back and forth, back and forth to the point where, you know, he was applying for med school. And most people are like, man, is it going to work out? And I'm like, you know what? I know it's going to work out for him because the amount of work that he's put in, you know, is more than what meets the requirement. So he applied to med school and he actually went to um, Robert Wood Johnson, uh, UMDNJ in New Jersey. So being competitive the next year, you know, I'm getting ready. I'm applying. He's looking to see what's going to happen. And, you know, I mean, I put in the work, you know, when you put in the work, there are no surprises. So, You know, I got into Harvard, Hopkins, Columbia, Cornell, Stanford, you know, a bunch of great places that, you know, I'd always wanted to go. And then it brought me back to what happened at the very beginning, the first day we got here, you know, looked at my dad and he said, you know, these are the schools. I said, this is where I'm going to go. And, you know, even though I love Stanford's med school, I love the vibe out there. I love the weather. I knew that part of, you know, the promise of coming here was, hey, Harvard's where I'm going to go. And so um, I eventually accepted their, accepted their letter and um, went there for medical school. Amazing. Um, and Amazing. even in doing that. Right. I mean, I'll tell you this little tidbit. You know, people people don't understand what it takes to get to the top. Right. And there's no record for what it takes to be successful. Like I said, I'm a little on the extreme side. So, you know, when I got to undergrad, I realized that there were kids that were better prepared than I was. They had gone through private schools and they were better educated, didn't Mm -hmm. matter. I knew I was going to put in more time, more hours studying than they were. And eventually if I put in the time, regardless of their levels of preparation, things would work out. And that worked out for college. So when I got to med school, I was like, whoa, This worked out for college. So before the whole, the first year of medical school even started, I had gotten access to the Harvard Medical School curriculum. And I literally watched the whole first year curriculum, right, online, read all the books before the first day of class. Oh, I love that. Right. I love that. So, (laughs) you know, I mean, especially because that, I
0: think that just, that just goes to a certain level of drive. That goes to a certain level of gumption that, like, hey, like, and and I'm not sure if it was a level of, I don't know, if doubt creeped in, like I needed to do this, but more that I'm going to do this because this is what I do. Like this is like I put in work. And because That's I put right. in work, why wouldn't I look at the curriculum? Like, why wouldn't I do these things? This is what I'm I, I'm accustomed to doing. So I I mean, I love everything about that. Like, how, how was that first day when, when, you know, classes officially start?
1: Man, it felt good, right? Because, you know, you're there. You can imagine, you know, kids from Yale and Princeton and all these schools, and everybody is just feeling themselves. Because when they got there, they were, you know, kind of a hot shot, mm-hmm. right? And in life, you always have to find kind of that secret weapon, right? You know, there's a certain amount of work that needs to be done in everything to get to a certain level. My, I'm of the opinion, if you know what work is required, why wait? right the person putting in the work first it's like a race right if you know how far you need to run and there's no one telling you you need to start at the same time why would you wait mm-hmm. so first day of class we're sitting there in anatomy class and you know a couple of kids just kind of mouthing off stuff they didn't know but having gone through the whole first year i am like ready to go and so i'm sitting there and every time they say something wrong I'm like yeah that's actually wrong not only would I just answer the question, I would take it to a level where they were just like, man, who is this kid? Right. Right. right? Where, where, where did that come from? Yeah. And then whenever they would try to raise their level, I would just take it to the whole other level. Because by that point, I was started the second year when they were starting their first year. So, you know, they're learning physiology. I'm learning pathophysiology. You know, I mean, it was insane. Some of these kids, I mean, my, their minds were blown, you know. And for me, it was it was fun and engaging, right? And it, it speaks to the concept of early preparation, right? Mm-hmm. So, the way it worked out, I mean, first year, I didn't even need to go to class. You know, I'm having fun, I'm partying, but I'm showing up to class. I got got all the answers. I read all the books already. It's easy, right? And you think about that for most people who are, you know, first first year of medical school, they're struggling. It's a hard time for a lot of people, oh,
0: right? Yeah. That, that transition. Yeah, I, I always I always the way I try to compare it when I, when I talk to my pre-meds is like when you're we're when you're in undergrad, you may have a whole semester, right, to learn microbiome. You have a whole semester yeah. to learn your microbiome. Whereas when you get to medical school, it's like, all right, four weeks, four weeks. Good luck.
1: <laughs> yeah, Like fire weeks.
0: hydrant open. Yes. Get it
1: off. And t- test that test the end. Yeah, absolutely. You know, but it's like when you start early right? It's not even four weeks. You got like six months, right? So when other people are coming in and learning for the first time, you're reviewing it. You know, you're asking questions at a higher level with more depth, right? And you think about it. There's no one that tells you don't do this. Don't start early, right? Don't start early. But how many people actually do that, right? And then you make life so much easier on yourself. You know, once again, you know, you put in the requisite amount of work and you know, the success is almost imminent, right? Mm-hmm. And it was just yeah, it I was love, incredible. I love, I love that,
0: putting right yeah. on, success is imminent. Cause again, yeah. I think I think people, right, people assume that I don't want to put in a lot of work because it may not be successful, but it's like, no, if you put in
1: the it's there. it it's there. So yeah, I love it's that. There. It's there, yeah. But, you know, one of the interesting things that happened, though, was what happens when you are different, right? Which is something I want to touch on because this happens a lot and you know, especially to a lot of minorities in medicine. So when you are an outlier, right, because people, there's a norm, right? They're expecting a certain norm. But when you're different, it's somewhat disruptive. So, you know, by second block, which I think was pathophysiology, I'm thinking to myself, I'm just, I mean, I'm running this, you know, like it's fun. I'm just little work and come in there knocking, mm-hmm. knocking it out of the park. But I got a call to the equivalent of the principal's office. Right. I and I'm sitting you. there Uh-oh. thinking to myself, they're going to be patting me on the back, man. We want to like, you know, have you help some mm-hmm. other kids out. And they sat me down and they said, listen, we don't know how you're doing what you're doing. Okay. Wow. We've never seen this before. You've never seen anybody, you know, first year on your level, but frankly, you're scaring some of your classmates Right. So we need you to kind of play dumb, you know, not just give up the answers and, you know, just kind of tone it down and make it more of an activity rather than just sitting back and being like, so this is chronic emphysema and you guys are missing this clue. And so, I mean, I was shocked. Yeah, I was shocked, you know, and I didn't know how to take that. Right. I mean, here I am at number one med school in the country. And I'm being told to to scale it back kind of for the comfort of others, right? And, you know, I walked away from that and I was like, really? Did that just happen? And in life, you know. That's so crazy to me. That's, wow. I mean, you know, but it it, it happens, right? When you're an outlier. And so I decided, okay, if that's the case. Well, well, I'm not going to waste my time there. I'm going to put time into figuring out what I want to do. Right, Since I don't need to go to lectures because that's only going to put me uh, further ahead and all I need to do is sit in class and you know kind of play along until the very end and then just kind of chime in, I'm going to go do something else. So first year of medical school, I'm now getting into the operating room, right? Wow. <laughs> so, you know, something that would happen third year, because once again, the MO is consistent, right? You know, start early, put in the requisite amount of work. So the first year I'm calling up, you know, surgeons like, Hey, you know, I'm a first year Harvard medical student. Can I get in the OR with you? X, Y, and Z, you know, shadowed some orthopedic surgeons. You met with the chief of plastic surgery. I was like, Hey, can I come to the OR with you? So by, by first year, when other kids are learning pathophysiology, I'm learning how to scrub, you know, dump up into the blue stuff. By second year, I'm actually assisting and so by third year, when everybody else is getting into the OR for the first time, and they're learning how to like scrub, I'm, I'm operating, you know, I'm assisting. Right. And once again, when you start early and you stay on that trajectory and you put in the requisite amount of work, success is imminent. Right. And I'll never forget, you know, I scrubbed with this attending and, um, one of the residents left me to cover the room by myself as a third year medical student, which just does not happen. You know, it's usually a resident covering the case. The attending is just kind of like, no, you can't leave me with the med student. He's like, no, nah, trust me. He's not just a med student. Just give him a chance. So I'm in there like, you know, <laughs> let's go. Yes. I'm sitting there just doing what I do. And it was like, what's your name again? I was like, Oh yeah. Theo Niami here. And so it was great. You know, I mean, I got so much love from, the program, because these kids, they'd raised me. They taught me how to operate from the time I was a first year medical student. And so when I was applying for plastic surgery, which is fairly competitive, you know, I had a pretty good feeling that at the very least, you know, the program that made me, taught me how to operate, you know, watched me do all these flaps was going to be invested in my success. Yeah, and right. so when I applied for plastic surgery, which is once again, really challenging, you know, I had put in more than requisite amount of work. And I felt pretty good that things were going to happen uh, the way I needed it to. And so applied, you know, I had a lot of great interviews, you know, big schools. And eventually, uh, because of the commitment and how much time the Harvard Plastic Surgery Program had invested in my development from the time I was the first year, I decided to stay at Harvard for plastic surgery. So. And, you,
0: and you were because you, I know you when you said, especially when your brother was thinking about neurosurgery, was, was plastics always like because I know you want to do surgery, but like was plastics always like that? Or is just like as
1: a student, you're like,
0: hmm, plastic, you know, this plastic so, doesn't seem bad.
1: The first thing I thought I was going to do was orthopedic surgery. And you know, one talk about representation being mattering. When I was a college student, I shadowed uh, Mansworth Allen, a surgeon at the uh, Hospital of Special Surgery. Right. And it was the first time I saw a brother in an OR as the surgeon. Mm. You know, I mean, Answer was smooth. This guy would come in and he was a, the physician for, you know, a few teams, nicest guy ever. One of the things that really struck me is he was not impressed by me. Right. At this point, <laughs> you know, I, I'm used to like pulling out the usual tricks. Oh, here's my GPA. And people like, oh, I, he was not impressed. Not impressed, right? And I was like, this is somebody who's, you know, respect I've got to earn. And he took me to the operating room and I was like, wow, this is his operating room. You know, he dictates what happens in this OR. And it was powerful. You know, I saw myself in him that day and I was like, wow, orthopedic surgery. And so when I got to Harvard, my first thought was, let me explore orthopedic surgery. And I was, you know, in the OR at Cholas Hospital. Uh, And I started dozing off because, you know, for me, it was, it's the same procedure, you know, like I've seen it three times now, and unless you're doing it, then I remember myself dozing off and I was like, you know, let me explore something else. And so then I started um, looking at some of the specialties and somebody said, you know what, you need to go talk to uh, Jim May and Jim May, um, you know, I mean, one, I mean, one of the nicest people that I met, he was a chief of plastic surgery at Mass General Hospital. And when you walk into that kind of environment, you're talking to the chief, you just think you're gonna get blown off, right? In, invited me into his office, took my little CV that I had put together, You know, I worked real hard on it, put a folder on it, put my name on the folder. And he's like, you know, this is gonna be your file. I'm gonna keep this here. Uh, you're welcome to join me in clinic any day. And he really just said, you know, open it up and said, hey, you know, and especially being black, I don't know what I expected, right? Sometimes, you know, you ask for mentorship and they're like, well, you know, he was just welcoming, you know, and he showed me what plastic surgery truly was, which was a creative specialty that utilizes, you know, manipulation of form and function to achieve a certain goal, right? What we're doing is shaping and molding tissues to achieve a goal at the core, and that can be used for cosmetic surgery reasons for reconstructive purpose re- reasons and i love that you know no two procedures are ever the same
0: definitely right every patient love because different. especially when i talk to kind of the lay people when they think about when they think about plastic surgery and i'm probably dating myself right now um they always talk about like nip tuck right nip tuck nip tuck like they always just think it's yeah. just this kind of this hollywood breast this breast that and that's it and i'm like no yeah. like no. those guys go in right like you got a severely injured hand like 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 you're calling plastics right like if it look if that wound looks kind of crazy you're calling plastics like yeah like they're a big deal like yes i know they i knew they do the cause it's just like my dentist i know they do the cosmetic stuff but like their their acuity and and
1: some of the stuff that they treat is kind of crazy like you know please respect my plastic surgeons yeah. It's, it's, it's insane how maybe, you know, something that's about 20% of the entire field of plastic surgery gets about 80% of the credit for what plastic 100%. surgery is. Wow. Okay, wow. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, if you actually dissect it, you know, cause in plastic surgery, we create fields, we create operations because we're always inventing, you know, the first kidney transplant uh, was actually done by a plastic surgeon uh, actually at uh, the hospital I trained at, you know, and then we eventually gave that over to you know what became transplant surgery so we're always inventing operations just based on utilization of form and anatomy and function and then some people may take over those operations and then we'll create new operations so you know as the field expands cosmetic surgery becomes kind of a smaller smaller percentage but in the media it becomes you know more of a representation of what people think of plastic surgery uh when there's so much that we do as far as you know reconstructing cleft lip and palate deformities hand surgery i mean any problem that you know comes up in the body we can reconstruct and so when i was in boston you know one of the things that um we started to do at the time were face transplants um and once again talk about an operation that was just kind of created Um, out of a a need and necessity, and then eventually lending itself to more advancements, which then becomes, you know, more routine, not quite everyday surgery, but something that's possible. So,
0: and, and obviously you could have, you could have easily say, "Hey, you know what, you know, great, great, great undergrad, great med school. I did Harvard. I'm I'm good. I'm a plastic surgeon now, Uh, but that wasn't really enough for you. Right. Like which 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 again, I think really, I mean, as we're listening to your story, kind of speaks to your story that yeah. for a majority of folks in our profession, they would have been very content with that resume and then kept it moving. But like you, you, yeah. you, you decided I saw you did a a research fellows like and you're like a whole different country. Like how what's yeah. how does that pivot? And 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 then obviously I want to kind of talk about because you kind of mentioned, especially in the beginning, is not only are you a father and a husband, but you're an entrepreneur. And I, you know, Lunch and Learn community knows, I love my physician entrepreneurs who understand that, yes, we, we do a great thing, right, with this healthcare thing. But, you know, we're, we're allowed to be, you know, creative thinkers in our own way and do things that, you know, may not be the typical, just kind of see me in a clinic.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I mean you're right. After I f- finishing up, you know, I felt like I was on top of the world. Right. I mean, I had, you know, gotten it to assist it in probably about seven full face transplants, you know, the first bilateral hand transplant ever done, you know, I got to be um, you know, uh I got to scrub in on that. So it was it was great. And I felt like I was on top of the world, but there was something missing, right? And I think when you have that mindset, that mentality that you're going to just, you know put in more than necessary so that success is always imminent. So you're not even worried like, hey, can I, can I not? You've got to do more. And so I spent probably about a year and a half going to different countries just to observe and actually do surgery, just to see how things were done. Um, And it was just a really enlightening time in my life that really put things in perspective, right? (laughs) So before that, it was always kind of go, 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 achieve, achieve, achieve. And so I started the journey uh, in Norway. Um, Where you know I visited a good surgeon, a good friend of mine is Tormod, and just saw the life that they had, right? And it wasn't the the busy grind, grind, grind. And I saw his family and how involved he got to be, and I was like, wow, this is nice. Then you know I went to Italy and did some surgery over there. Once again, paid attention to the lifestyle, right? Because in in our profession, it's not the career, it's the lifestyle that eventually either makes your ultimate success or not. You know, there's so many people who are going to grind themselves to a nubbin and at the end, look at what they've achieved that it may not be worthwhile. Um, From there, then, you know, I got a chance to go to, you know, Austria, uh, went to Colombia, and then finished off in Australia. And Australia was just a powerful experience for me. First off, it was the first country I've ever visited. Well, not the first country, but it was the first time I've lived in a country where I didn't feel black. Right. Interesting. And that's Interesting. a powerful statement. Okay. Right. I'm, you know, I'm listening. <laughs> most times, you know, especially coming from Africa to this country, when you walk into a room and you are, you know, four percent, whatever the percentage is. You are very, aware, very, right? very low, very low, legendary community. Just in case you didn't know, absolutely right. You know whether people admit it or not, you are aware, right, of the fact that you know you represent a group of people. There may be preconceived notions about you, and what you do becomes a representation of a group of people who may not have a voice, right? Mm-hmm. And I got to Australia, and I realized, wait a second they've just never really experienced what black people are supposed to be like, with there are no stereotypes because for them, they just see it as all Americans. Right. And it was just powerful, right. To just be received for me, for being me. Right. Not to be an ambassador for my race, but just, Oh, you're just Theo. Right. You're not, you know, Theo who comes from the Bronx who, you know, I, you know, it just, it was very, very interesting, you know, and you but, know I love well, that you said that
0: because I don't think people really realize the level of stress that carries yes knowing that you are the representative and yes. I, i've I've kind of said this before, where like when you do well, all good right yes we, we all look good in the back, yes, but understanding that if you don't do well then they might assume that everyone in the back is likely not going to do well. And maybe I don't take that chance and, you know, let this person come in our school or let this person come in our residency or let this person come in our fellowship. Like that isn't, that is in the back of a lot of, you know, especially, you know, the the black physicians' minds. Mm -hmm. And and it's tough because we know like, man, if I mess this up, man, we may not get another one of us in here for a while. Right? So, I, so I, I like each other because I, I don't I don't know if people really realize
1: that some like for a lot of us, that's the level of stress we carry every single day on top of having Absolutely. to be in a great position. Absolutely. And, you know, it's like somebody says something that's offhanded. Right. Even how you handle that. Right. Do you go and and, and fit a certain stereotype that they are maybe even hoping that you fit just so they can say, look, yep, there he is, you know, and is that burden. So, I mean, when I was there, it was just incredible. But what I think I paid attention to was a lifestyle. You know, I saw people who for the first time, you know, were actually practicing medicine. But when the practice of medicine stopped, they had an actual life outside of medicine, Ooh, I love right? It. They, you know, what medicine was just something that they did so that they could live their life not you know the other way around like we sometimes see in the US where you know medicine is your life and outside of medicine if you're lucky if you get to have a couple of moments with your family and so on and so forth. So once I got back from that journey, it really changed my whole perspective, right? I had been this machine, right? I'm going, you know, from high school to college, college to med school, med school to residency, residency to fellowship, and I want to be the machine. And I really had to kind of stop and ask myself, what's most important, right? And that shaped just my decision, even about jobs, what city to set up in, and you know, my wife, um, who is is, is Haitian American, um, you know, is also in medicine. Um, you know, she's head of women's cardiology in the Novant system. You know, you know, I wanted to choose a city that would offer us the opportunity to both practice. Uh, without it being, you know, burdensome. And I'm really glad that I had that experience abroad because it allowed me to shape my practice into what it is now, which is a sustainable model that allows me to be a husband, you know, a father, an entrepreneur, rather than having plastic surgery consume so much of my life ooh, that at the end of the day, there's nothing left. Ooh, and it. it's so easy for that to happen, you know?
0: Especially in medicine. I mean, I'm to, I mean you're saying everything. Whew, on point i mean this is why. this i again shout out to jamar right um this i mean it's i said i mean you're taking the words right out of my mouth like medicine is so good especially here and that and again i don't know if it's just the way our our system is programmed of how we train our physicians but the like the way it is is that it almost makes it taboo right to say you know what? i want to make sure like i got time for my family i want to yeah. make sure i have time for myself right not even that's Let's be selfish I want to make sure I have time for myself after yeah. like again I, I do what I need to do this is my career yes but when it's time to clock out I want to be able to clock out and not have to still be uh in in a body over here but my mind is still over there so yeah. no I, I I love everything like I love everything about it because again it, yeah. that I mean that that says it like right on point like yeah like like yes I, yeah. I do medicine and I do it very well. But I also want to live my life. I also want to be a husband. I also want to be a father. I just want to be me. Right. And and not necessarily have to be defined, you know, by, you know, you know, my amazing
1: skills as a clinician. Yeah, And I think, you know, for young folks coming into the field of medicine, this is something that you they should be cognizant of. Right. Because it doesn't just happen. If you follow the standard pathway, you're going to end up having, especially in this country, medicine consume most of your life. And then you get a small little piece of it back that you are just thankful that you have, right? But if you're purposeful and intentional, then you can really create a sustainable balance between what, is your, what should be your actual life and medicine. And um, there's a quote from Sun Dr. Chai, you know, CEO of Google. And he says, you know, life is a series of five balls that are in the air. And I may not remember all of them, but it's work, your spirit, your health, your family, And your soul Mm. and when you really do the math and think about it out of those five balls right four of them are glass and only one is rubber rubber meaning if you drop that ball it's going to bounce back but the other ones if you drop they're going to be damaged in a way that is hard to uh, repair Mm. and when you think about it work family your spirit your health and your soul Work is the one thing yeah. that's the rubber. Like yeah. you get fired, you know, Lord forbid, you get fired, right? You just wait a couple of years. You might hit, be hit in the pockets, but you'll bounce back. You'll get another job. But if you let your health lag because of your career, you can't get that back. Mm. You end up, you know, pre-diabetic and on the same pathway while trying to heal people. You end up, you know, unhealthy in your lifestyle. You'll never get that back. You know, your family you know, you, if you have kids, you really have about 18 summers before they're out.
0: Oh, That's yes. not a lot of time. And, and that so time we move moving. My, my kids are yeah. like nine and six. And I'm like, yeah, yeah happen? let's like, happening know? here?
1: But you can't get that time back. And yet in medicine, we treat work as if it's the glass ball and all the other things are rubber. And that shift in perspective is so important to talk to people about, especially at a very young age in their careers. Because if you don't keep that in focus, before you know it, you are down the slippery path where the bank account looks great, but you're out of shape, you're overworked, not fulfilled, your kids, you know, aren't, don't have their stuff together. And that part is very dangerous, you know. And so for me, that is the new challenge. That's the part where I'm trying to put more time in rather than just grinding the same old axe. I want to put the focus into making sure that all those other things are taken care of.
0: So So, so let's, let's talk about, uh, before, before I get you out of here, let's talk about the entrepreneur stuff, right? Like what, again, and I'm assuming, right. Just hearing your story, um, that you're probably going in on that as well. Like, I I don't know if you have a 50% effort in in you, right? right. Like, I feel, I feel like you're like, Oh, I'm going to do this. Like, I feel like you're going in.
1: Uh, (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's funny. So, you know, I mean, growing up in the struggle, there's beauty in the struggle. Right. And, um, you know, I got to Boston when I was a med student and I did some quick math. Right. So, you know, hands down in the OR, you have resources around you. And my best resources are always nurses between the age of 30 and 60. They've lived the life. They've made mistakes. And usually if you run an idea past them, they'd be like, no, don't do that. Or, well, you know what, you need to do this. And so, I, you know, I talk to everybody, right? Everybody, in my opinion, is smarter than I am. And I'll sit down with people and like tell me the single greatest thing you're doing right now. So I was in med school and I was, you know, had a small apartment saving my coins and had this opportunity. this is that the downturn of the market um, to get into real estate. So I started looking, you know, first time home buyer, right? I'm a med, you know, I'm like a, yeah, I think I was a, I was a resident at the time. I find this place, I run it by every nurse, they're like, no, don't do it, don't do it. It was in Roxbury, Massachusetts, right? Which at the time was kind of a rough area, right? Right next door was like a nightclub, right? And they're like, don't do it, this ain't it, you know? But I talked to the people, I start running the numbers. And I realized that this home is basically, you know, almost like you know, coming out of foreclosure. Mm-hmm. I call up the guy and I'm like, hey guys, listen, this thing looks good. like, what's the best rate I can get on this? He sells me this four-bedroom um, condo for about 250,000, and I'll use real numbers because I don't mind. <laughs> My mortgage on that was about 800 dollars. Mm-hmm. I had three roommates who were paying me about 800 dollars each. I love it right. So it was basically you know three-fold multiple per month. And on top of that, because they hadn't sold enough of the units, they couldn't close on the unit until they had enough uh, buyers. So I got to live in that place for a full year rent free, I mean, without paying a mortgage. Meanwhile, still renting it out to other. Still collecting the uh, rent. I love it. Still collecting the rent. So I took that and, you know, there's always a temptation, right? You know, you come into a little bit of wealth to do some, lack of a better word, ignorant things, right? Mm -hmm. I did none of that. Cause it's once again, I'm a hundred percent in. So I put all of that back towards the, the, uh, principal lower, you know, almost paid for the whole thing. And at the end, four or five years, I sold that place for double. Right. Love it. So my Love tenants it. basically paid for most of that. So I basically took that and I've gotten back into real estate in Charlotte. Um, and so, you know, I, you know, own a few units. I'm a, Say exactly how many, and I manage them. And for me, it's passive income, right? So I measure my success not by how much money I can generate in an operating room. I measure my success by how much money I can generate when I'm not operating. That's it. Right?
0: Oh, because I, I love it. Because yeah. it, it's because it's it's one of those things where, like, yeah, we make great money, but like if we have to keep working to make working great money, it. right? Like yeah. it, again, I can't spend with the family. I can't spend with the exactly. kids. I Can't spend with my wife. Right. Right. But like, exactly. if, if it's making money while it's over there, and I'm over yep. here chilling,
1: chilling, yeah, it's a whole yep. another ball game. Yeah, and so I think one when I look at medicine, it, it's a great, it gives you such tremendous capital, right? Because of you know how much you can make, but that capital, poorly applied, is essentially a liability. You know, and I see people making mistakes all the time coming out of residency. I look at my car, I got this crib. I mean. For me, you know, you have to maintain that level of humility. You know, I grew up in a town with no running water, right? So, you know, I I keep that perspective at all times. You know, like people look at me as a plastic surgeon and they assume, you know, you live this flashy lifestyle, X, Y, and Z. First and foremost, I've got to show my kids, right, how to live with a level of humility. If I expose them to a lifestyle that they can't attain for themselves, I've done them wrong right? And, you know, so my, my, my daughter's five, my son is three. And at this point, they don't have the wherewithal to understand, I, I guess, because I tell them now they start to get why we have the things that we have. And they understand it because daddy and mommy put in a lot of work to get it. Yes. And what I've exposed them to is probably maybe one tenth of the things that they could otherwise be exposed to, you know, with a dual physician household, and I and I and I'm 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 happy about that. You know, even in choosing a neighborhood, you know, there's like the neighborhood that you know you're supposed to live in, you know, and then there's where we are, right? Where, you know, people, you know, take care of their own lawns, right? And so when I tell my son to get out there and, and cut the lawn and do all the things that my dad made me do, I want him to know that this is what we're doing because this is what people do, mm-hmm. not like, hey, you know, how come we don't have you know, two maids and a butler. You know, so it's it's important that legacy that you leave. You know, I love it. Oh.
0: So before we get you out of here, how can how can people follow you? I, I already follow the Instagram um, website. Like, wh- like how how do we keep up with Duck Miami? Like, how 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 do we keep up with your world? Because again, it's it's such amazing, powerful message And again, I want we I, we kind of talked before offline. But I, I always thank my colleagues, you know, for taking the time because I know it's crazy busy, right? And I know yeah. I, we we already know how it goes. Uh so I always appreciate you guys that you take the time out, you know, to really kind of bless the luncheon community and kind of give the insight on your world. And yeah. I mean, just I mean, the such a powerful message that I think everyone needs to hear, right? This is such a powerful message that, you know, it's it's a it's a mindset message it's having having the audacity right to put in the work because you know when you put in that work success will come i, I like everything is just was yeah, just amazing right so how can people follow your socials is there any like you know any things you're working on books any whatever like i know you do some speaking like but what, let's this 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 is kind of your bragging bragging time right um, now
1: before we get you out of here. I, I appreciate it. you know there are two ways and one i'm going to lead off with the one that i think is most impactful and where I look to see, I think the legacy will be. So because of how I've crafted my career, you know, I get to spend a lot of time with my kids and they're practically homeschooled, right? And that's something that's important to me because I think education is is the future. So, you know, my daughter, for example, is five. She just started kindergarten, but she's, you know, at a fourth or fifth grade level in math already you know, she's doing pre-algebra with orders of operations when everybody else in her class is learning how to count to a hundred. And that's part of that mantra, right? The the same process that I've been through where you put the work and success is imminent. um, They're kind of going through that. So based on that, you know, my daughter actually, it was a picture, a video of my daughter doing um, a pre-algebra problem that got posted to TikTok. 2.5 million views later. um, There's been a lot of like, Request to talk about how to do early childhood education. Uh, and so I've started a separate uh, Instagram, um, the homeschool doctor for that. Where We're talking about how to actually take kids that are far capable and get them advanced so that by the time they start school, they're ready. And the reason I'm passionate about this is, let's face it, the school system is failing our kids. You know, the good teachers are falling out of the education system you know, kids are so many different levels due to COVID and whether we like it or not, we have to become educators in our own home. So I hope that the legacy I leave will not just be, you know, good before and after results, but, you know, the opportunity to to look at a family and look at a model for success, right? Starting from the time that they were, you know, three years old doing math, uh, like with my son, and then marching all the way down to when they get to high school and college and You know, similar to the same pathway that I've used to get to where I am, they're going to be on a similar pathway. So that one um, is just new and I just launched it. So it's the Homeschool Doctor. um, And I'm going to do a separate YouTube channel um, going back through their lessons and how what I learned from kind of educating them. Um, So that's one aspect of it. I think that'll be the legacy piece. The other is just the, cos, the the plastic surgery piece. And that's, you know, at Dr. Theo Niami, N-Y-A-M-E. Um, and, you know, feel free to follow along. I always love getting comments and feedbacks and people reaching out like, hey, you know, what's it really like? I'm very honest. You know, to me, I, I hate people that um, spew the kind of advice that's meant to make themselves feel good and look good. But it doesn't really hold weight when you when you measure it. <laughs> um and i'm very transparent about what it's taking to get to this level and for me the most important thing is for people who are questioning whether they can or cannot i think it's irrelevant the only thing that matters is this is the amount of work it takes when you're going to start putting it in so um yeah
0: Ah, amazing amazing again lunch learning community medicine monday community again um just an amazing conversation like i say you you guys know i don't disappoint and again obviously i want to give a shout out to Jamar who who said like i need to get that Naomi on the show right he said he like and i knew he was excited he was excited he was excited i'm like all right all right say less like he it's funny he hit me up over christmas And then I was like, oh, let me wait till Christmas break. I know it's holidays. I said, let me wait till Christmas break. I'm going to swing back around. I'm going to swing back around. Um, Member of the community, all of those links that you just mentioned, if you're driving, listening, cooking, whatever you're doing, will be in the show notes. We'll definitely make sure those are in the show notes as well. Again, just thank you for taking the time, man. This has been an amazing conversation. And I wish you nothing but the best. But in the back of my mind, like the amount of work that you're putting in you're gonna get it so like, like <laughs> i still wish you to get it but like i just wish you to
1: continue doing what you're already doing i appreciate it no i appreciate it. thanks for the honor, and man in the future if you guys ever want to do this again this is this is great this is great so yeah keep you in mind
0: all right thank you thank you for getting to the end of the episode i am yours truly dr barry pierre favorite board-certified internist. Like always, remember to subscribe to the podcast, leave us a five-star review, and more importantly, share this to at least two of the five of your friends and family members that you know that could be empowered with the words that you heard today. Again, so appreciative of all you guys' support. See you guys next week.